0: The economic system that we engage in today, the entire structure of our society is going to change whether people like it or not. This isn't one of those things where there's a bunch of like hippies chanting about solar panels and saying you can make money and do good at the same time. That's great, but that's not really what's happening anymore. And I think the people who don't understand it are going to be left behind. The world is on fire. There's significant parts of the world that have never faced this challenge. And so the question is, for those folks who are sitting on the sidelines, who are managing a capital, who are thinking about impact in terms of their portfolio, like get on the train because it's going to leave without you.
1: Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding, and I'm your host. As a former private equity investor, occasional monk, startup founder duke and unc professor and mastermind guide for our climate ceo peer groups i launched this podcast to share inspiring stories of ceos and investors tackling climate change honestly just got a little tired of all the doom and gloom through these interviews i hope we can all become better founders investors entrepreneurs and human beings by digesting these guests secrets to starting and scaling climate companies, creating careers of impact, building habits and routines for higher productivity and health, and growing through maybe life-changing books and podcasts that they recommend. All right, let's get started. My guest today is Dimitri Gershenson. Dimitri is the co-founder and CEO of Enduring Planet, a pretty unique financier of climate-focused companies. In their words, Enduring Planet is a fast and founder-friendly provider of non-dilutive capital for climate entrepreneurs. Apply in 10 minutes, get funded in 30 days. No collateral, no personal guarantees. I mean, look, I'm a fan. If, If that sounds hard to believe, that's because it's different. Check them out. Uh, In addition, Dimitri is a former entrepreneur, prior lead on Meta's energy access program, a $15 million investing initiative that enabled energy access for 3 million people and unlocked nearly $500 million in additional capital in underserved markets like Kenya and India. He's also the board member at EcoSafi, which I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of. (laughs) They are an important lower-carbon capital-backed climate startup enabling clean cooking in emerging markets. Check them out as well. In this episode, we talked about Enduring Planet's plans to provide $2.5 billion in non-dilutive funding to founders over the next five years, how they're able to provide term sheets within seven days and funding within 30 days, assuming, by the way, The counterparties, the the entrepreneurs are pretty quick with the turnaround of info they need, of course, why he believes that we need to be funding $700 billion of corporate debt as part of the $5 trillion we need each year to mitigate the worst of climate change. We also cover the kinds of resources that they are building for founders that they fund as well as those they don't, because look, it takes, takes all of us here, how he set out to build a startup fintech that did not require 80 hours of work per week, and lots more. Hope you enjoy, and please give Dimitri and Enduring Planet a shout-out on LinkedIn or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. Dimitri Gershenson, co-founder and CEO of Enduring Planet, and perhaps a brother from another mother. How you doing?
0: What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, before we pressed record, I joked, um, as I do on some of these shows, about needing slash wanting to hook the listeners to make sure they listen to everything with, with a, you know, coming out of the gate hot. And here's our coming out of the gate hot, the setup, Dimitri. So, so how much... Is, feels quite contrived. How much capital, (laughs) just kidding. How much capital, Dimitri, are you all looking to place in climate tech in the next five years? Boom, fill in the blank, go. Two and a half billion. Boom, not million, billion, two and a half billion place. Yeah. And and Dimitri, what what kind of capital will that be?
0: Non-dilutive, no equity, no warrants, no nonsense. Just founder-friendly credits, fast, simple, covering the entire spectrum of the market, SMBs, startups, later stage companies, instruments that are really tailored to serve the climate community.
1: All right. So if if, if we were if we were texting or writing, there would be like this giant either emoji with the head blowing up or the uh, the three like big dark circles of like, you know, oh my gosh. So yeah, two two and a half billion bucks over the next five years of non dilutive capital, not taken equity in these companies, you know, credit, debt facilities, creative debt facilities. Sweet. We did it. Okay. I know That's every it. listener is Shows over. Yeah. Freaking attention. All right, cool. <laughs> now, now that they're like, well, I'm intrigued. What in the world does Enduring Planet do? What do you all do, Dimitri?
0: So we provide growth financing to climate entrepreneurs. We do that by deploying debt right? So this is capital that requires repayment in the near term. It's not driven by a liquidity event like equity. Today, we invest via a single instrument. It's a revenue-based financing product. So we offer teams cash and they commit to giving us a portion of their revenue for a fixed term. There's no collateral, there's no personal guarantees, there's no liens, there's no complex covenants. It's super simple, 10 minute application, a week to get a term sheet, 30 days to get funded. We'll compress that timeline dramatically over the coming months because we're gonna be integrating a lot of automation into the process. Our goal is to do term sheets in 48 hours and funding in sure as hell less than 30 days. We will also be launching additional products. So our new instrument is coming out, I would say, Let's say October, where we'll be supporting much earlier stage companies with credit products. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but uh, I'm really excited for this to come out. It's a close to a fifty billion dollar a year opportunity that we'll be lending into. But I think you know the bigger picture here is that climate needs five trillion a year of investment for us to all survive. That's like that's the north star. Of that, we think about 700 billion a year needs to be in the form of of effective credit solutions, spanning the sort of gamut of corporate finance. This isn't project finance we're talking about. That's like a whole other bucket, right? This is just balance sheet lending. Uh, we think that's like a 700 billion a year problem. And so, even if we do two and a half billion in the next five years. It's a drop in the bucket of what we actually need to accomplish to all stay alive. It's still a big number. Like, I'm very proud of that number. We're going to hit that number. Hopefully, we can exceed it. But in the grand scheme of things, like, there needs to be 100 of us to really turn the tide.
1: You know, I, I think what folks who are listening are probably doing right now is 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 stopping their jog or stopping their drive and saying, pause, rewind this. What, what did he just say? Th- those are yes. some... Those are some fun numbers, which I want, to, I want to come back to those numbers in a second. But I, I'm also thinking about a bit of a, an analogy here. So you referenced the target of $2.5 billion placed in the next five years, but a $700 billion per year need for corporate uh, debt uh, to, to not kind of burn up. What it reminds me of is the B Corp certification process. And I t- I'll tell you why. So I'm, I'm currently teaching this course at UNC's business school on sustainability reporting and certifications. And an awesome guest speaker, uh, Jessica Thomas from NC State and head of B academics, I think, was presenting about B Corp. And she's like, look, you know, it's, it's something like six or maybe another 8,000 either B Corps or public benefit corporations, right? So on one hand, small. On the other hand, that's a lot. Um, but their tool the B impact assessment has been used by like, I don't know, 130 or 120,000 companies. That's where the analogy goes, right? Like you're two and a half billion, but think of all the other capital structures you're influencing to say, oh no, no, hey guys, wait up. This is possible. It's profitable. And you're, you're kind of doing good stuff for the world too, eh?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that people should focus on is that this massive gap is really an incredible opportunity. And the economic system that we engage in today, the entire structure of our society is going to change whether people like it or not. Like th- this isn't one of those things where there's a bunch of like hippies chanting about solar panels and saying, you know, you can, you can make money and do good at the same time. Like that's great, but that's not really what's happening anymore. And I, I think the people who don't understand it are going to be left behind. The world is on fire. It is it is on fire. There's, you know, a third of Pakistan is underwater right now. One third. Okay. Like that is not an understatement. That's 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 the truth. There's significant parts of the world, parts of the world that have never faced this challenge that are like facing food shortages and food security issues because of droughts that have lasted a decade. You have parts of California that, you know, have to think about shutting off power to the richest people in the world. Because they literally can't support extreme heat events, right? And so, will we hit these investment numbers on the timeline that we probably need to like hit a trajectory that makes sense for everyone? Probably not. But like, it's going to happen whether people like it or not. And so, the question is for those folks who are sitting on the sidelines, who are managing capital, who are thinking about impact in terms of their portfolio, like, get on the train because it's going to leave without you.
1: Yeah, right. So so connecting the dots again here, the course I teach in an hour at Duke University is, is on ESG investing. And it's cool because half, well, many of the students are master masters of environmental management students. They totally get the environmental climate change piece, but they're newer to finance. And then the other half or so are Duke undergrad econ majors that are gonna go work on Wall Street, right? And like both are learning the others, you know, trade, and both are just kind of like, I think metaphorically mind blown about yeah. um, the, the need and potential opportunities here. Okay, that was depressing and motivating. Thank you for that, those numbers. Uh, the, 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 the I mean, real that's what climate is. I, know, this, I, know.
0: I, yeah. I think this is one of the things that I, like a lot of people talk to me about. They're like, how do you stay hopeful mm-hmm. in the context of what's going on as a person who's like steeped in it day to day? And the answer I give is often not what people expect, which is like, I don't have a choice to not be hopeful because given all the information that's presented to me, I have sort of two directions I can go. I can either crawl into a hole and and I'm sort of paraphrasing actually something that a graduate school professor of mine told me on like the first week of our grad program. I did a master's at Berkeley at the energy and resources group. And, you know, it's basically like, look, once you learn about what's really going on and where we're at, how far we've come and... All the steps we didn't take when we should have taken them you have two options one is you fight like hell because everything depends on it and you 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 have to invest you like sort of have to be optimistic because otherwise you give up Mm. and i'm not about giving up
2: Mm. right Mm.
0: like i have i have a lot to give and i believe a lot of people have a lot to give and i believe a lot of folks are really motivated to like make inroads on this problem and the amount of effort and investment and care and excitement that I've seen in the last year alone shows me that I'm not, I'm not the only person thinking about it this way. It's time. It's been time. But now it's, like, really time.
1: Yeah. Now, I think it's all super well said. Obviously, you know, we agree with each other on this topic. And, some, you know, some listeners of the podcast um, may remember that the first name for the podcast was the Climate Torch which both means we're burning and also like, let's be, not me, but let's, be, let's, let's let the guest be a light of, you know, hope, right? Like, here's the way, right yeah. here, follow me with the torch. By the way, uh, for those listeners, little, little marketing advice, I was told by a dear friend when I asked her for branding advice, she said, well, you know, right now you have Entrepreneurs for Impact, this climate CEO group, you got a newsletter, it's called Zero, you got a, a, a podcast called Climate Torch. She's like, you know, if you were like Ford Motor Company, yeah. Have different products, different names. You're not, you know, pick one. Yeah. I was like, oh, I feel both like fleeced and enlightened. Yeah. Okay. Back to our focus here. Let's go back to your numbers, Dimitri. Um, so you're, the, 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 the time it takes to apply for your revenue-based financing product, 10 minutes. But I heard, look, automation, baby, that's going to get shorter. I think I heard 10 minutes, I'm sorry, sorry, 10 days, a week. A, a week, a week to get a term sheet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Usually. Yeah. It kind of, look, it depends. Uh, we give people the option to apply for financing without con- connecting their financials to our API. If they don't connect their, their banking, payment processing and accounting, then our underwriting takes longer. We have to wow. sort of manually review documentation. So we can do it in a week. We've done it faster but we give people optionality because we know we're still building trust in the market and that's okay. We'll, we'll earn it. I'm not worried about that.
1: Yeah. I'm not worried about it either. Um, And then 30 days to get funded. That's
0: usually the time between like the start of the application. As long as, you know, people respond to diligence questions on time, as long as they get all of their signatures and approvals on time. Um, Yeah. It takes us about 30 days to fund.
1: Okay. so let's just compare contrast, shall we? Um, g- given the other options that the kinds of companies you're backing have, what does your timeline to fund look like versus other timelines?
0: So, you know, we compete with all sorts of different capital, given that we serve such a broad array of the market, right? In the SMB community, our competitors are banks. Banks suck at Deploying capital. How do you really feel,
1: uh, though, Dimitri? I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: look, it, it it does depend on the bank, but uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for why banks operate the way they do. I think often it takes, I would say, three to six months to get like a meaningful loan from a from a bank, and often those come with collateral, personal guarantee requirements, like all sorts of heavy, complex stuff big legal costs, long, you know, 80 page loan documents.
1: One one kidney perhaps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They also don't often lend to companies that are pre profitability or early profitability, no collateral, no person guarantees. Like you can't even access their money. And so um, it's, it's actually pretty easy to compete with banks. We also provide uh, an alternative to venture capital for startups who are Either raising around and want to minimize dilution, or reduce their overall cost of capital because our money is way cheaper than than VC. We also invest in uh, in startups in between rounds to help them sort of change their trajectory, go bigger before they go out for VC again, and so get a better valuation. You know, there are VCs that that move very fast, and I, I commend them. They're, I we have angel investors in our uh, on our sort of call a cap table that invested in thirty minutes. Right, but that's that's like a very different. <laughs> it's a different situation, mm. um, and those folks are taking equity, right? Um, in our case, we we don't. So, if you look at other lenders, uh, I'd say we move about as fast as any of the other alternative finance players in the market. Some of them might move faster because we're just getting started, and that's okay. Uh, we think our terms and our value add is is greater. Part of what we do, uh, which makes us unique, is that we're not just lenders. We have a massive network in the climate ecosystem of pipeline partners. So we share deal flow with over 200 equity investors and other lenders who might provide types of financing that we don't offer in the space today. We also have over 30 other kinds of sort of value-add partners, everything from designers to PR firms, to tax firms, to accounting firms, to growth consultants who offer pretty hefty discounts to our community. And over time, we're going to build out additional sort of resources for the founders in our network. And the thing that probably makes us even more unique is that we offer all of those benefits to companies, whether they raise money from us or not, like as long as they're in touch, we like what they're doing. We will help them raise capital, even if they're not a fit for our, for our credit products, because in the end, if folks in this space are doing good work and they're not getting funding because they're, I don't know, not good at fundraising or they're not a white guy, like, who are we to? It's it's imperative for us to show up as partners, regardless of whether or not we fund, because again, the world's on fire.
1: I mean, what do I say? Yeah, I love all that. Right, the the kind of giving, uh, not just kind of getting. Uh, I mean, look, it, it's full circle for sure, but also kind of building the ecosystem. Okay, I wonder, I wonder whether I've been assuming too much here. Maybe we should allow you to break down what in the world we actually mean by revenue-based financing?
0: Yeah. So the, the way that our instrument works is we provide cash either sort of like in one, sim, one payment or there might be tranches and then a company commits to giving us a portion of their gross cash receipts for a fixed term. So typically we're lending upwards of half a million in a sort of first check and they're giving us some percentage, you know, between one and I don't know, six or 7% of top line revenue for one to two years. And so what we get back is the principal, the like the amount that we're committing plus our gain. And we actually have multiple structures that we're testing where you can sort of prepay the gain and then you cap our upside, but mm. you also reduce our risk or you can pay it over time. And so we get a little bit more upside, mm-hmm. but you, you then get to amortize sort of that, that payment over the period. It's still always tied to revenue. And so if you have a bad month, you don't pay us as much. Right. You have a good month, you pay us more. And that's one of the unique differences between a financing like this and bank loans or term loans is that in those cases, you're typically making a principal and interest payment or an interest payment that's fixed every month. And if you have zero revenue that month, you're still paying it. And if you don't, you enter sort of breach and default, and then there's all sorts of pain that comes down the line. In our case, we're taking that risk. And that's like, that influences how we underrate, it influences how we structure. But in many ways, it's a way more founder-friendly model, especially for folks who can't perfectly predict their revenue. And frankly, like, if you can perfectly predict your revenue, I still think it's a really effective instrument, uh, but you can, you can often do a lot with that kind of financing as well. It's pretty straightforward. There's no, there's no gotchas. We actually put our term sheet on our website. We give people the power to estimate how much revenue based financing they can raise with a like a handy calculator. We're very transparent about how our funding works. Um, and and people seem to like it. So we have, a, we have a few case studies of investments we've done today. You can start to take a look around why people chose our capital. We've invested both in small businesses and venture backed companies. Um, And we're going to do a hell of a lot more in the coming
1: months. Can you, um, can you say a little more about the kind of company? Um, Yeah. You you mentioned like, you know, levels of profitability or, you know, are they VC backed or are they not kind of cash flow or lifestyle? What, what, what are some examples, I suppose, of types of companies, maybe stage or size or whatnot?
0: Sure. So, you know, with, with the revenue-based financing product, what we're looking for is consistent growing revenue with strong gross margins and, and, that's not net margin. So we're not looking for profitability. What we're looking for is consistent growing performance over time. And with a venture-backed company, there's also runway requirements. Like we're not going to give you a loan if you're about to run out of money. But generally, we will fund companies that are, you know, doing at least 25K in monthly revenue, gross margins of over 35%, gross, again, not net. And we, we typically want to see about 30% uh, year-over-year growth. And so, you know, with startups, like, we're we're looking at software businesses, we're looking at, at small hardware businesses, we're looking at sort of hybrid hardware plus software models, we're looking at recurring services. On the SMB side, it's a lot of, like, recurring service businesses, solar sales, solar installs, composting, you know, basically, if you're in the climate economy, and you're consistently generating growing revenue, like, you're probably a fit for us. We don't care if you've got a massive TAM. We don't care if you went to an Ivy League school. We don't care who referred you. Like we empirically assess every company based on their fundamental economics. And then we make an investment decision. Mm. And so as long as you meet our credit criteria, then we'll give you capital. Right. And we, we also like, I think a lot of investors in this space have, you know, pretty discrete requirements around climate impact, right? They're like, oh, I want to see a gigaton of emissions reductions over 50 years. And I'm like, that's great. Okay. I have lots of thoughts about investing like that, but we don't invest that way. So for us, as long as you're involved in climate, as long as the direct mission of your company is to sort of build a new climate economy, you're in scope for us. You can be doing indirect impact, direct impact, you'd be doing adaptation and resilience, like all of that is of interest to us. And we particularly want to fund underrepresented entrepreneurs, diverse teams and companies serving marginalized communities. So that's actually, you know, you talked about B Corps and PVCs, like we're a, we're a public benefit corporation uh, and we have a dual mission. So it's to provide founder-friendly financing to climate entrepreneurs and to support underrepresented founders, diverse teams and companies serving marginalized communities. And actually I would say, I think like all all but one company in our portfolio today meet one of those criteria Maybe they all do, now that I think about it. And uh, over 80% of our pipeline meets one of those two criteria. Mm. So, you know, a lot of folks talk about DEI in their work, like we're, we're doing it.
1: What is also interesting is, as you describe the kind of company that's in scope, what I know you're also saying is, hey, founder or CEO, we know you've had trouble raising perhaps from other sources because you don't know somebody because you didn't go Ivy League because your total addressable market is too small or your gigaton estimations are not, not high enough. Guess what? We're here for you, baby, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. We, don't,
0: we don't, like, I think this is what distinguishes us from BCs, right? BCs want to make bets that have big exits that are sort of concentrated that have a very unique structure and model. And like, I want to fund it all as long as the credit risk is aligned with what we want, I'll give you money. And so like we can even fund competitors. We don't, we don't really care. Right. Uh, this market is so big that uh, I don't, I mean, look, there are certain spaces where like we probably won't have too many investments because you know, Oh, if you're doing carbon offsetting for the top five big tech companies, like there's probably only so many of you that that could be, but if you're doing, you know, so we have a company that does compost subscription, like basically pick up, they have like a circular economy thing. They produce uh, really incredible products that then they sell to consumers in the area. They're in Denver. Like, will we fund another compost business in Denver? Probably not. But will I fund a compost business in Austin? Like, totally. mm, And mm. And every major city that doesn't have municipal compost should have one of these. And so... I think for us, that gives us a unique advantage. And as we launch additional products, we'll open ourselves up to other parts of the market. And so, you know, today that's the profile we're looking for in a month. That profile will dramatically change and there'll be two instruments available. And in 12 months, there'll be three and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And eventually we want to serve every startup and small business, small, medium sized business, large business in climate from inception to IPO. Like mm-hmm. we we want to cover every credit need, and leverage automation where we possibly can mm-hmm. to make the process fast, efficient, equitable, inclusive. Those are all key priorities for us.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going back to revenue based financing, so obviously you know you all are applying that for a certain kind of company or kind of sector. Maybe talk to us about how common revenue based financing is broadly, like I don't know, other sectors or. How long it's been around, where it's going right, where it's going wrong. Is that is that too much out of scope or is that in scope?
0: No, not at all. Totally not out of scope. Revenue-based financing is like one of the oldest forms of investment. It's been called lots of different things, right? So there's models of it called factoring. There's models of it called, you know, sort of like minority, like cash flow private equity type engagements, like. It's all the same thing, right? I'm giving you money and you're giving me a portion of your revenue for some pre-agreed term, right? There's been a lot of talk of it being this like innovative fintech alternative credit thing that has been promoted by the like clear banks and pipes and whatever of the world. And that's cool. Like it's fine, whatever gets your message across. But in the end, it's not innovative. This isn't rocket science, right? Today, this product is is generally employed in a, in a few different spaces. So e-commerce, quite a bit of revenue-based financing because it's really hard to raise venture there's like pretty predictable marketing investment to revenue ratios that you can sort of track in the space and so you can make investments i think from what i've seen in the last few months that that model is straining given the macroeconomic conditions Um, so we'll see how that sort of plays out in the next year or two the other space where we've seen a lot of revenue is financing and factoring is software uh, especially SaaS because there's sort of MRR that you can lend against and basically convert it to ARR. I also think there's some, some issues with lending to like just SaaS businesses uh, that are very dependent on venture cycles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And right now we're going through a downturn. So we'll see how those companies perform. We apply revenue based financing a little bit more broadly. So we believe that kind of a unique moment right now where as a whole climate is going only in one direction and that means revenue is really only going in one direction. So at a portfolio level, there's this like macro wave supporting these businesses where like, again, world's on fire. And so like, there's a lot of demand, both from capital and from customers and from like an emerging class of consumers, both like people and businesses and corporations and governments who are like, holy crap, (laughs) we got to fix this problem now. And so we think that as long as companies demonstrate consistent growing revenue over time with a with sort of strong gross margins and a business model that is somewhat predictable we can lend by revenue-based financing so that you know as i was saying we like we apply it to to software like a lot of other folks in e-commerce sure but we also apply it to hardware we apply it to hybrid revenue models where people are selling hardware and software we apply it to recurring services like we think that all of those spaces can benefit from a product like this
1: cool how about th- thinking about you as a co-founder, CEO yourself, not just a financier, uh, but also growing a company. Wh- wh- what's been the hardest part of growing Enduring Planet?
0: Man, I think maybe at the highest level, like being a founder is always hard. doesn't really matter who you are. Uh, I, I mean, I think some people probably have it easier than others. I, I'm a very privileged, I'm like a privileged white guy. Yeah, so I'm already starting from an easy place. And I think that for us, it's been a really incredible journey. Like we've only been around a year and we were able to raise a bunch of money and build product pretty fast and and deploy capital pretty fast. And we've made, now we've signed eight investments and we're pretty excited about how they're performing. I think this industry is still very early in its understanding of like what a real capital ecosystem should look like. I think also in many ways, investors historically have done a disservice by removing all the nuance from conversations around capital. And so we will often interact with founders who are like, we're a venture-backed company and so we raise venture. Mm. And I'm like, but why? Like there's all this other money out there. Why why would you just raise venture? It's like literally the most expensive product you can access and it comes with all these strings attached. And they're like, but we're a venture-backed company. That's what we raise. And And so that's why we invest a lot in founder education both around raising venture capital more intelligently and, and efficiently, but also around thinking about how do you access alternative other forms of capital so that you can be capital efficient, so that you can be thoughtful about how you allocate ownership so that you can sort of optimize for cost of capital. Like there's all these things that founders don't, I think, often do. And then I think on the, on the other side of it is educating the rest of the community to sort of participate in the ecosystem in a way that works for everyone. I think part of what's been really fascinating is learning about the different incentives that drive behavior in this market and and getting a sense of like, okay, well, you know, this type of investor is actually their customer is not their investee, it's like their LPs. And so they're not incentivized to behave in a certain way that's actually best for founders. And so like understanding that and navigating that ecosystem has been really fascinating. I mean, look, in the end, like the things that are hard are the same things that are hard for any other founder, right? It's like getting enough rest and having enough time to do all the things, uh, making sure that you remain focused and only pursue the opportunities that really matter in a given moment because there's always too much. Navigating the ups and downs of of running a startup. Um, I think even the best of us have like, this kind of roller coaster experience mm-hmm. and like staying sane through it is is hard, but in the end, like we're so we're so lucky and we're so fortunate that we had early support. Like we came out of a venture studio, so we didn't have that period of time where we were like eating ramen and not sleeping. And you know, like, I can't even do that. I've got a four year old and a mortgage, so like that's that wasn't even an option for me. And and then we were lucky because we like I came into this this role already having had a network in this space. And so it, in many ways, it was easier to raise capital to like fund that first stage. And my co-founder had raised an insane amount of money for her last debt vehicle. And so it was in some ways easier for us to raise debt. Like I, I, there's it's pretty rare that a, a first time fintech can raise as much capital as we did for our first facility at the cost that we did, because it was like a lot less than our peers had to pay. And partially that's because we're in climate and partially that's because we had the help. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, we are stupid lucky. And like we are very aware of that. And we take we're not taking it for granted. Like mm. we we've been given a lot of resources and we have the privilege to take those resources and put them into the hands of really talented entrepreneurs solving this problem. And we're gonna do that fast and we're gonna do it again and again and again. And coming back to the original point, we're gonna put a lot of money in the hands of climate entrepreneurs in the next few years. And Hopefully other people do the same.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Well, I mean, what part of what you're saying is along the lines of that set, of that quote, right? The, those to whom much has been given much is expected in return, right? Let's switch, Dimitri. So um, we, we talked about the, the business, let's let's move over to the person, right? Dimitri yeah there we go. If only those folks on listening could see the video just now um, <laughs> what uh what what is some advice Dimitri, you might give your younger self to be more effective happier et cetera uh, on this this journey
0: so I don't know if you can see it there's um yeah, I know it's not on video i'm gonna i'm gonna repeat it, but there's a little little plaque up there I, on I wall. The plaque. yeah the plaque. and it's it's part of a quote, and the the entire quote is the Hills of Everest are lined with the bodies of very determined individuals, so maybe calm down. Mm -hmm. And I think, Mm -hmm. like, maybe calming down is the the best advice that I can give my younger self. Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety has always been something that I've had to navigate. Uh, Like, I have general anxiety disorder. I'm not shy about that. Mm. I'm also uh, on the autism spectrum. So, like, my brain just works differently than a lot of people. Mm. And I think I spent a long, long time trying to figure out how I could not be those things. Mm. And instead, I've now learned how to, like, use what I can to my advantage. And and when I can't, to be okay with, like, the things that are hard. Because in the end, you, you can only you can only do so much. And so I think figuring out ways to exist in your world that work within the confines and constraints of your world is actually like the real challenge. Um, So one of the things, for example, that we did when we started Enduring Planet is we all committed that we were not going to build a startup that would require us to work 80 hours a week to be successful. And so that has actually played out in really interesting ways because We all work pretty reasonable hours. I mean, we work hard, but we prioritize in a way that I I think is pretty unique for companies of our age because like the three leaders are all parents, (laughs) you know, like we all have complicated lives at home. And that means that when we're working, we hustle like crazy and every minute counts. Every second is sort of accounted for. And that's okay. It means that when we go home, like I can spend time with my four-year-old and I don't have to, I don't have to be on Zoom calls till midnight. Mm -hmm. That's one. I think, I think the other thing too, is that I have always wondered whether or not the choices that I was making about my career, the things where I spent time were sort of right in this, in the sense of like what other people perceive or believe is right. And I found that most of the time when people tell me that I'm wrong or that I'm, like envisioning a an idea that that won't work, uh, that I'm actually on the right track, and so maybe just reminding myself that like lots of people will have lots of opinions, and everybody's got an opinion.
1: Well, there's there's an expression around that it involves a yeah. body part. Yeah, yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> and 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 odors. I'm you know I'm usually like very vulgar in my uh, yeah. vernacular, and I'm trying to be I'm trying to be less so. <laughs> um, so you know, I'll keep it to myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I debate about how much vulgarity to just, you know, drop in a public forum like this. Occasionally it comes out, but uh, anyway.
0: I'm very um, proud of myself. I haven't, like, <laughs> I haven't said the F word once. So I'm, <laughs> I'm doing well.
1: Not while recording, no. Yeah. Um, well, you know, on the first part of that, committing to not build a company that required 80 hours of, of work per week. You know, if you think about the name of your company and your parent company, enduring, right? This is not a short sprint, right? This is like, I think if I recall one of enduring ventures founders, Xavier, isn't the quote something like, or maybe it's, 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 um, I forget which founder it is talking about building or, or building or, or buying, I suppose, beautiful businesses that you own forever, right? Yeah. If you want to endure forever, thrive forever, you, you can't, you can't burn out. Right.
0: I mean, I think there's this ethos in in sort of like I don't know if it's Silicon Valley or if it's all sort of venture back startup ecosystem where um if you're not working, you're you're failing, you're losing that like you know, if you don't work sixteen hours a day, your competitors will beat you, you know, or whatever. Maybe that's true in certain very crowded ecosystems, but I think in the end, like you need to build a business that you can navigate efficiently and effectively. If you're in charge, you have to be okay. Cause if you're not okay while you're doing it, you're going to screw it up.
2: Mm. And mm.
0: so I think I've seen startups where people from the start, like I know many companies where people from the start said, I'm not going to build it that way. We're going to build it our way. And it works beautifully. And yeah, there's lots of companies where people like, work you know 80 90 hours a week and everybody sleeps in the office and you just like crush it and it works great and for every one of those there's 99 where people burnt out and couldn't cut it and made bad decisions all the time because they were exhausted and they were broken and they didn't have good balance and like I don't think it has to be that way and you know what maybe in three five years like you'll have me back on the show and I'll be this like failed founder of a fintech (laughs) startup that never went anywhere because we didn't work more than 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week and like Maybe we'll have that conversation then, but I have a lot of conviction around building balance into how you lead a business because I've seen what happens when you don't.
1: Mm-hmm. A question that uh, i like to pose to myself or the CEOs in our mastermind or even students is like, what are you solving for, you know? And sometimes what you're solving for should include other things like health and yeah. wellness uh, on, yeah. on this, very short, <laughs> this very short journey we have on the planet. Yeah. You know?
0: I mean, it has to, you're like, whether, whether you're building an, uh, an enduring company that, you know, is forever or not, if you're building a startup, it's a marathon. Like it's at least, I don't know. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot saying this. (laughs) Don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah. It's a while.
1: Yeah. There
0: you go. It's a long time. It's not a year. It's not three years. It's a long time. And you have to be at the top of your game every day. That's the thing that I think a lot of folks don't realize. And and I'll give a a concrete example as we wrap up, right? Like when we did our pre-seed raise, I pitched, I think, 240 investors. And there were parts of that process where I was doing five plus pitches a day, every day. And at the time, my thought was, I need meeting density and volume matters. And like, I can totally do it. Mm. And what I wasn't realizing is that every time I was showing up at a, at a, in a call, I was not energized Mm. and Mm. I was not really clearly communicating the conviction that I had about our business. I was not clearly communicating the vision that we had because I was burnt out. And so there was probably a month and a half period where I did, I don't know, 80, 90 of these meetings that went nowhere because I showed up like a sad bag of soup (laughs) and like I could have done half of it and we probably would have closed faster. And you know what? It was a really incredible lesson for me. And Mm -hmm. like, I've approached our, our seed round, which we're doing now very differently Mm -hmm. because I, I, and like, we still have density. We still have very short, tight timeline. We're, we're doing all the right things, but instead I'm not showing up in meetings like a sad bag of soup. I'm like, you know, fired up.
1: An excited cup of coffee. I don't know. Where does that one go? Yeah, exactly. Quick quick side note and then we'll I think we'll move to wrap. I think I think there are studies that talk about the further the further a judge is away from their last meal during the during throughout the day, the more harsh or the worse uh, their decisions are, their mandates are, their rulings are. Anyway, we we are biological creatures for sure. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, I know we just got a minute here, Dimitri is there kind of a final message call to action folks you want to hear from as we wrap up here? I mean, look, if you're,
0: if you're an entrepreneur in climate and you've got revenue, come hit us up. We'd love to give you money. If you're (laughs) an investor in climate, um, put your money to work and, and be founder friendly. Like these people are saving the planet and you're not the one generating value. They are you're just there along for the ride to support them. And so like show up and be a good human. And for the folks who aren't in the space yet, who, like aren't actively working in climate and have the opportunity to do so, have the privilege to do so like the world's on fire. Come join us. Mm. It's a, it's a crazy time. Mm. It is just a crazy time. I've, I've like never been as excited about any moment in history and sort of like, Entrepreneurship and industry development and in anything as I am today, it is it is bonkers.
1: Well, back yes, yes, yes. But back to the to the you know we as climate founders and investors are lucky right now. Imagine if we were if we were trying to do this twenty years from now, right? The ability to have an influence, I think, would be far less, right? Whether well, anyway, I think we'll just leave it there. That that's an extra version of.
0: Yeah. No, the time's now. The time's now. I mean, the time was really 30 years ago, but the time's really now. Like, it's never going to be better than now. And tomorrow, it's never going to be better than tomorrow. Like, every day that goes on, it's it's less. So, come join us.
1: Right on. Hey, um, great stuff, Dimitri. We are rooting for the success of Enduring Planet and all the companies you're supporting. Talk soon.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Chris.
1: thank you so much for listening. Seriously, the world needs you, and I know your time is super valuable. If you want more content like this, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter at entrepreneursforimpact.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I read every single one, I promise. These reviews are the number one way to draw more attention to the world-changing climate CEO's and investors that I'm lucky enough to be interviewing on the show. And each month, I pick one listener review for a one-on-one brainstorming call with me. Who knows what can come of those? Finally, if you're a growth stage climate CEO looking for a confidential peer group to share best practices, expand your network, and scale your business, then please apply to join our Climate Mastermind Programs and Entrepreneurs for Impact, where our current amazing members have created over $4 billion in company value to mitigate climate change. Until next time, keep on fighting those good fights.